in terms of yeah in terms of understanding the customer talk to them and don't take what they say as the answer take it in digest it try to think where's the question come from what's caused them to ask that question where are we sitting right now you know should we ditch this client should we start looking for another one to replace them go through that process don't just if they say oh you guys should do this don't just do it you know process it and think about what has been said and therefore what should we do as well i think is uh, is important You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. One theme that has emerged as of late completely unintentional, by the way, is the large scale of work towards binding e-commerce and businesses we come to know as household names. My guest today, Nick Truman, is in no small part a contributor to this effort, one that in a holistic view of the industry at large, I don't know if it's being done consciously. It's really more of like an underlying organic movement. Nick is also an expert on Shopify and his knowledge of the platform is immense. So it means a lot to get some of that here today. Nick Truman, it is good to have you here on Ecomonics. Everything that we just uh, recorded, I thought it'd be fun. We're just going to keep that all in because that was all fun. And how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Yeah, good. Good. I'm looking forward to the world opening up after this coronavirus lockdown nonsense. Um, I say nonsense. It's quite serious. My wife is a doctor. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, good to good to finally have a roadmap out of this for a lot of these countries, vaccines out, et cetera. But how are you doing anyway? Uh, I'm, I'm not bad. Um Quick, quick backstory for me, which is uh, the audience. I'm only telling the audience this because I've been like letting them know about it. It's like this little uh, uh, story arc happening in amongst these economics episodes. But any minute now, they're going to start drilling on our balcony and uh, front desk say, well, just use the laundry room. So go to the laundry room. Laundry room is locked. So somebody is going to get a tersely worded email uh, between now and uh, 2 p.m. when I had to do my next one. We brought you on. You're with uh, uh, Spec Digital and Ask Parker. And I want you to let our audience know what these are about. So tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'll give you a very, very short story. So rewinding the clock back, I used to work for an agency, ironically, next door to where I am now. I've gone full circle, Um, a bit like a helix. I've kind of gone like this, but up at the same time. Um, But yeah, so I started out working for a little agency when I was 17 years old. Um, I needed to buy a car and a friend of mine had just started a PPC agency on Google Ads. So I worked there for a bit, quit after two years because I had eight staff, was very, very stressed. My boss was never around um, and quit and started my own business doing PPC and learned SEO on the way. Somebody bought that from me in 2013, all SEO PPC related, couple of staff, nothing big, you know, sort of very small and simple. Um, and then worked for the new owners. And that is how we went from sort of small local family run businesses to big corporates. And then in 2015, I successfully exited. So I, can, I left for good. And I tried to, a second time, tried to get out of the PPC SEO world. I hated working for agencies, et cetera. Um, but I had bills to pay. So I picked up a few projects working for uh, TJ Maxx, as you know them in the US, TK Maxx in the UK, um, Virgin Trains, which is part of the Virgin Groups, like Virgin Atlantic, et cetera. But they run some, they, well, they were, not anymore, but they were running some train lines in the UK um, and various others. So I picked up those contracts and then got a bit busy. So I employed a, an assistant, which then turned into two assistants, which then we decided, well, let's grow this thing. You know, let's let's get on the consultancy route. And that's where Spec Digital came from, or Spec, as we go by, but we're not precious by any means. 
Um, but yeah, we go by Spec. Spec was actually my nickname um, when I started wearing glasses. My friend called me Specs, and I called him Hatman, um, which is the uh, non-public story. So don't tell anyone. Um, but the public story is that Spec works with specialized perspective, etc. And for the last sort of six years now, Spec has very much evolved out of wanting to give consultancy. So where an agency does lots of doing, and they'll manage your Google account and you know get you better click costs on Google Ads or do a bit of SEO work in the background. It's all kind of witchcraft and dark magic. Mm-hmm. Spec take the opposite approach. We're going to train the client how to do things. We're going to get the client doing lots of the work with our um, input. And that means we sometimes end up in very, very strange projects, all of which is by our motto, which is by any means. So we will get somebody to the top of Google, or more important than get, actually getting to the top of Google is increasing lead gen, helping them get more, um, more customers, et cetera. And then June last year, I had a chat with a good friend of mine called Caroline, who ran a business and is the founder of a company called Just Ask Parker. And Caroline and I basically agreed that I was going to come in as CEO. So since June, I've been running my own podcast um, that she had started up. Um, and we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, and then I, I became, came in as the CEO of Parker. And my job since June 2020 is I've got this sort of very high-end spec digital consultancy where we're very expensive. We're not very expensive, but we're quite expensive for the industry, very expensive for our size. We've taken a lot of unique clients that have very interesting, unique challenges. And then you've got Parker, which is essentially Shopify only, and you just kind of buy some credits and spend the credits on tasks. So my job has been looking at this enormous chasm between the two. So you've got these tiny little startup Shopify stores, and anyone listening has heard of something called Brexit, which apparently has been on the news all over the world quite a lot. Um, We're sick to death of it in the UK, but a lot of us now support it. Um, because of that, it's got even more complicated with Parker because it's now registered in the UK with customers in Europe. But we won't talk about it today because it's an absolute minefield of legalities and tax. And But anyway, my job's been trying to uh, sort of cross the chasm between the two, suspects my business. Parker is now part of my business and Caroline's still very much involved. And Parker's growing like mad. And we've hired some more staff here in London in the UK to look after Parker and really grow and scale it. Um, but then we're trying to uh, sort of cross this chasm, getting spec- the spec team to do work for Parker clients creating premium tasks, um, and ultimately trying to work out what the problem, and we'll talk about this later because it's quite an interesting um, kind of digital economic process of trying to work out what what is good and bad about the Parker offering and how we can make it more premium without it becoming, um, you know, without losing money while still making money. Really interesting, which is why I got involved in it. But those are the two kind of main businesses that uh, that I that I work with and, and focus on. That's great. And one thing I wasn't so there's actually a couple of things I wasn't expecting. But one thing I wasn't expecting is um, I'm looking. I looked at Parker and I looked at Spec, and I was just trying to get a sense of you know where they were in scale and what a level of clientele that they were working with. So it didn't occur to me that uh, Parker, I would say, more entry level. Um, uh, smaller businesses, uh, some a sort of, startup, uh, yeah, startup akin to some of your stories. prior experience, which was working with um, uh, smaller businesses and family businesses. So that through line never went away. It's just, it just was repurposed into uh, Parker. And then what it sounds like the challenge is, is that you're looking for ways to, I guess, even transition people who are uh, on Parker into Spec Digital. So what would be like the entry point for Spec Digital? What would be like the the, the lower end of the uh, client base before they can get into spec basically yeah yeah what's really interesting with spec actually is when i feel like as a business owner and a lot of business owners relate to this you get very stuck in the day-to-day and you start making up myths in your own mind of how things actually are so one of the myths in my mind that i put to death about two years ago at spec is that we work with all the big names so we just work with big high street retail brands airlines train lines companies you've heard of and if you haven't heard of if you haven't heard of them we don't want to work with them 
And I genuinely believed that for a few years. Then when I looked at my customer base, our smaller clients in terms of contractual fees were the larger names. Now, I think they're still, they're still good to have and we still target them. We get very excited when we bring one on board. And when you say to somebody, oh, we've just pitched to so-and-so and it sounds like we're down to the last two and the rest of the team goes, wow, I love that brand. You know, really, but actually a majority, probably 60, 70% of the revenue at spec actually comes from businesses that most of you wouldn't have heard of <clears> unless you have a very particular problem or thing or a very particular need on that day. And then it might be the name that you sign up to an insurance, um, you know, some insurance cover via one of our clients. And then you don't even hear their name again for the next five years. You just stay with them and have a good experience. So we realized actually our, our ideal client was not the big ones. We always want a few because it, it looks good. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good justification. If, you, if we say, oh, we're currently working with Sonadyne, no one's heard of them because they make sonar equipment for submarines and wind farms and stuff. And, you know, nobody's heard of them. But actually, they're, you know, they're, they're quite a large contract to us and the client that we really, really love. Um, so it's, I think it's good to have a balance. But the entry point for us is it's less about how much money you've got because we think that the fees we charge, they will be expensive when you put them up against another company. But the time between you joining us and signing up for a service from us and the time of you making profit out of the work we do should be less than, I mean, I'd say 12 months is an absolute max. Some clients, it's within the first month. or Most clients, it is sort of three to six months. We've earned them more money than we've cost when you take all of their own costs so we've generated more profit than our fees have been, and we've got a plan to scale. So an insurance company we took on have about 20 different websites. They're acquiring other companies for fun. Um, and we have two other clients in similar industries doing the same sort of thing. We love that because every day there's like a new, you know, staff members are changing quickly. Their investors have bought another company and merged them in. So the starting point for us is not expensive, but we, we're, we're in the process of repositioning ourselves to be more of a performance agency or performance consultancy with the tagline being by any means. So if we have the right content, design web pages, we will. We don't go to market for those services. We just go down the customer acquisition route. So SEO, PPC. Um, but for example, some of our clients, I think our smallest one spends about £2,000 a month with us on, on Google Ads. So it's not much at all. And then even their marketing and marketing director and managing director, as we call them directors in the UK, um, CEO for you guys or founders. Um, but I think the even those guys initially, when we said, well, let's spend about £2,000 or dollars a month sort of thing, um, they were kind of like, wow, that's crazy money. And then we said, well, how much is a customer worth? So how many, how many leads do you need to get a customer? And then how much, therefore, does a lead need to, be, need to cost? And they often come back saying, oh, we need two leads. You know, we need two leads a month and we can spend £5,000 getting those two leads. And one of the two will convert into a customer. So we've rebuilt all of our reporting systems over the last three years to reflect exactly that sort of equation. So we literally have this big, it's not, we haven't actually visualized it as a funnel yet. That's the next phase, but the numbers are all there on a spreadsheet, you know, kind of spreadsheets or in a PDF showing you like, here's how much we've spent. Here's how many people we've reached. Here's how many people come into the site. Here's how many leads we've had. And then we've notes saying how we're going to trim this bit back or widen it, depending on what we're trying to do at the time. But it really is all about ROI. So then we can actually give them a thing saying, well, you spent your 2000 pounds last month with us, but actually we've generated a hundred leads and 40 of them have become customers and you told us we only needed to. So can we have four grand next month? Yes, you can have £4,000 next month. Of course you can have 10, you know, and it just starts scaling from there. And it's not easy by any means. And some months you do go backwards and seasonality comes to play. But certainly we're not expensive, but we do have that conversation quite early on with clients sort of saying, what is the plan? Like, at what point would you throw the kitchen sink at your Google Ads account just to spend as much as you can? Um, and I think it's important with onboarding and pitching to be really open about that, which has actually gone from us sort of, 
you know, kind of like, oh, do we really want to work with these guys? To so actually a qualification process and actually setting the ground the ground frames. So the client comes back to us. When can we grow this budget? And it's in my experience really rare for the clients to be saying that. But I think about thirty percent of our PPC clients asked us in the last month because we keep a record of when they if they ask us to up the budget. Well, by the time we get to the end of the next month, we have our next catch up. The answer will absolutely be yes. We will find some way of spending it on something that's going to um, you know yield rewards. So. Certainly, we're not we're not big on day one, but we will be big in 12, 24, 36 months. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it helps too. I, I think one of the uh, axes for all of this, the central axis, is the idea that there are clients with uh, reputations behind them that are generally accepted by the public. So if any time someone is feeling skeptical from the clients, and all they would have to do is uh, refer to businesses that are uh, public and or show up in the, in the news and show up on websites and show up on people's Facebook posts and say, well, you know, uh, if they, they, they wouldn't uh, disparage uh, these people's names they wouldn't pretend and they wouldn't be allowed yeah. to use their name yeah exactly if it had all gone wrong so yeah yeah it's important yeah um one thing that I, I can't help but wonder about is i guess getting past that veil of working with something that you already have prior familiarity with uh, i think one of the issues is there's this like it's almost like i i appreciate the way that you referred to almost like a myth where like uh, different uh businesses uh and brands they almost take on like a mythological status because they're, we're always on the receiving end and they're always in control of our destiny. So to get past yeah. that veil and to now actually be the ones now controlling their destiny, um, I'm, I'm wondering a little bit more about the experience of, I guess, if you got comfortable with it, I don't know, you seem to be putting on a good face, but getting comfortable <laughs> with working with something that not only do you have our own personal emotional investments with, but you realize that this success will have a tangible impact on my own life. People I know are, you, are, are consuming this brand people around me or I consume this yeah. brand, this will have a huge impact on my, my reputation. Uh, and it's almost, it's, it's like disproportionate versus working with a brand that is largely behind the scenes. I mean, the same yeah, amount absolutely. of work, really good job on both of them, but one will have a much more per, uh, pronounced effect on your perception. I think it's an interesting equation. So there's like three or four things that have just popped into mind from what you've just said. I think one of them is and we play this game with clients sometimes. We ask a room of people at the client, you know, the business we're working with, um, who's your target customer? And they all write down some stuff. And then we go through the slides, you know, right, what age group have you put? And everyone goes, oh, it's, you know, TJX, for example, uh, T- TJ Maxx, TK Maxx, et cetera, all under TJX. Um, and they'll say like, oh, it's, you know, young, young, trendy people. And we'll say, no, it's not. And put the data up on the screen just from Google Analytics, you know, and it's a bit, bit of a rough estimate from GA, but it shows like, actually, you've probably only got 20% of your audience in the bracket that everybody in the room has written down. And then, you know, what gender are they? Where are they based? That sort of stuff. And I think it's, it's never been more true for our side as well, the consultancy, to look at our own clients and go, well, who's our target client? And actually, it is kind of one really big name, nine, you've never heard of them, but they've got loads of cash, we're ready to scale them. Revenue, you know, advertising turns into revenue pretty quick. There's not like a two-year lead time between an inquiry and an actual client signing up, et cetera. So I think it's interesting to look at look at things like that. I've completely slipped from my mind something else you mentioned. Um, I'll come back to it if I can remember, because there's a really good catchphrase we use internally, but I can't remember what it was. Um, the other point that's going to make there is around, you said about something, working on something that you're quite passionate and emotionally invested in. We're really big on that. So actually what I'm drinking right now is from the Rare Tea Company, who are one of our clients. Um, and we had them on, the po- on my podcast, my Shopify podcast back in Jan. And they were talking about, I mean, we got to a point where I had to sort of say to Henrietta, um, who's becoming a good friend of mine over the last year or two, um, I had to say to her, like, I'm really sorry to have to do this, but I'm just going to hook us back from talking about how we've helped an entire community in Nepal keep their jobs during <laughs> coronavirus by selling their tea back to Shopify to talk about a couple of the questions that have come in from our listeners that I really want to cover sort of thing. Um, but I think it goes to show that 
we're really, really hot on working with companies that are doing good things, that are working, you know, working in an ethical way. Um, I'll give an example as well. Being re- we try to be quite transparent. I'll be really, really humble in saying this. I had a client who called me up last year, and I don't say this lightly at all, and the team are all aware of this now because it's six months ago. Client called me up and said, look, we need to have a bit of a chat. One of your team has let us down a little bit, um, hasn't done what we need to. Um, and they, you know, they'd sort of really kind of tiptoed into this conversation, need to be careful here. I don't want Nick going, you know, getting all defensive and, you know, we're just trying to get the best result here. And we really love spec, but just the individual and your team that's been on this particular thing, it's just not working out very well. And my first response was actually to say, well, look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm, I'm glad that you and I have a relationship where you can just call me up and say this. And actually, if you feel this about anything else, let's have this conversation now, because I can only deal with what I know. And I thought this might happen, so I am already working on this particular issue. We are discussing internally our processes for you as a client and how we service you because we appreciate results are great, but communication's not so good. And that's why you guys want to keep working with us. You, you want the results and it's better than you've ever had. But some of the communication has not quite been where it needs to be. And that's because some of the systems we're trying to put in place, you've got a completely new team. And we've probably tried to be a bit heavy handed, putting our processes on you rather than agreeing what the processes should be. Mm-hmm. And we built completely new processes, which we're now using for two other clients as well, that we signed since that conversation. So I think, I think it's the ethics and processes of how businesses function, I think, is really, really key. And in this day and age, everybody knows it. You can't hide. You know, if, if one of our staff left because they were pissed off at me, you'd, you know, excuse my French, but you'd know about it. <laughs> like, it would be on social media, yeah. you know, and how I communicate that to clients would, you know, is really important. So I, I personally think in this day and age, if somebody leaves a job, just saying, they're going to be moving on. That says they've been fired. So even if they have, we try to make sure the lingo from our side is, you know, they've been here for three years. They've been, they've, they're looking at new opportunities at the moment. It's a good time to move on for them. And we're going to support them in that. You know, and it's, like, it's a very different, very different approach then. Everyone's kind of friends and everybody gets the best out of what we're trying to do. Because I think often when it breaks down between a supplier and a, and a client, um, you know, a supplier and a buyer sort of thing, it always breaks down where communication is not right or people expectations have been different, that sort of thing. It's never, in my opinion, in my experience, it's well, I say never, it's rarely because the work itself's not been good enough or performance hasn't been good enough. It's often, oh, you know, they just feel like they don't talk to us enough. That's a re- that's a quick reason for somebody to ditch their agencies. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's part of the reason I sort of been around the block a little bit, slightly older than I look. And then, um, yeah, built, tried, trying to build a business that tackles those problems. It's a breath of fresh air for when clients come in, they're like, oh, I love these guys. And we had a glowing bit of feedback. It's going to be on our website um, when we do eventually relaunch the new, uh, the new positioning. Um, one of our clients said, you guys, are, you guys at Spec are now the benchmark for all of our agencies. So if they don't communicate and operate and respond as quickly as you do, and in return for responding quickly, I used to think we'd set the wrong expectation. It's actually been the complete opposite. By responding quickly, they never chase us because we've already done it. And if they do email us, it's only like the odd email here and there. And it's five minutes to reply. And they're quite used to us replying saying, oh, yeah, good point. Let's talk about that at the end of, you know, end of the month on our next call sort of thing. Which makes things a bit easier, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, even just listening to it right now, your, your communication skills are, are, are tantamount. I, I mean, it's been, I think, like 25 minutes in so far. And I'm just like, just like holding on to work. <laughs> so, like, so I can definitely see that. And I, and I think it raises an important um, matter, too, that. Uh, within your agency, you know what work you're doing. You you're, you're quite confident in that. But the 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 agency or the client, they do. It's the communication that they really need to see because they're not going to see the the process. They're not 
uh, uh, standing over at your desk, uh, hovering or watching on a on stream or anything like that. So there, so there's a lot of trust work. The communication is what we use to uh, make up for the. And mm. I, I don't say a lack of trust, but there is a, a quota of trust that needs to be fulfilled. And it can only be solved one of two ways, through communication and setting high standards for communication or having a live stream of all the work done so they can watch it unfold in real time, which is yeah. absurd. So option A is, is a lot more practical. Yeah, I think as well, like it's, yeah, I think so many agencies are chasing their tails and we we went through a period I won't say when, because it wasn't a, it wasn't a million years ago. Um, but we went through a period where we stopped taking new work on because we realised that our turnaround times were slipping. Everyone was feeling a bit stressed. Um, I mean, I'll tell you when it was actually, because it, it kind of makes the point a bit a bit harder um, hit. Yeah. But certainly, it was during lockdown, so we weren't all in the office together. We are planning to be back. I think we're one of the few businesses right now that's openly just no, no, we'll be in the office. We need to be, we need to be a team to support you, our clients. And we very much know, you know, everybody here is completely clear that um, we service clients first because it's clients create revenue, which pays everyone else. So you can't have the staff without the client. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean everybody's sitting there with a fire under their chairs, kind of, I'm going to be fired if this goes wrong. Um, you know, we're very secure as a business, but we, yeah, we put the brakes on new business for a little, uh, just, to, for, just for a few months. And we let a couple of clients go that we didn't really enjoy working for and thought we we're going to leave anyway. And we sort of, it was either we were going to tell them or they were going to tell us. And we, we just put the brakes on for a little bit and did a bit of a reassessment. And we've done it again recently as we've got, you know, a couple of people have just joined in the last, last month or two. And we're looking to hire again towards summer. And because of that, it's a good chance to take a step back and look at our client list and go, who's best servicing these people? As an agency as well, one of the biggest challenges, and um, it'd be good to understand who the audience is. I probably should have asked before we hit record, but understand who we're talking to to understand how much depth to go into on this. But I think... One of the biggest challenges and biggest questions I've had in my mind for probably five or six years now, so since I've been running spec, the question really is like, how do you break the business down into teams, segments? And do you have a sort of PPC department, SEO department? Do you have an e-commerce department versus lead gen? Because those are the two things our clients need. So some of them, a few that cross over. And what we've ended up with is we've ended up with one PPC department and then an SEO lead gen department and an SEO e-commerce department just because the SEO side involves lots of updating the website and updating the website is very, very different between e-commerce and between lead gen. So lead gen is all about form fills, e-commerce is all about buying products. So we've always had that, well, I've always had certainly that question and through lots of good experiences and one or two bad ones, we've made massive headway towards that. And actually longer term, we probably will split up the PPC team as well into lead gen and, and, and shopping. So some people just run shopping campaigns in Google. The other team will do everything else. Then we'll have a third team that will look after paid social, which is something we we don't do on its own, but we do it as part of a bigger service. We're not, you know, we're not out and out consultants in it like we are. And partly because I don't think anybody ever can be with how quickly, you know, Facebook business manager seems to get better and worse every time they do something. So um, yeah, all good fun. But so who's listening to us anyway? Like what, what sort of audience are we talking to? And then I can angle some of these answers at those people. One of the things that's important in order to answer your question is that I always encourage listeners to listen in chronological order because I think it's better for their understanding over time. They'll notice my questioning gets a little bit more informed. And so where we are now in in that journey is that we are accomplishing a number of things. One of them is that we're just kind of like we're exploring the e-commerce space as much as we can. We want to meet the different agencies. We want to learn what uh, what you're up to. We want to understand 
where are some goals that people can uh, attain for themselves? Because one thing that I've seen, which is uh, very evident, which is all of the people that we are talking to in the dropshipping space, they use dropshipping as a means to build their capital and then they move on and do other and things. And we should talk about dropshipping in a minute because I have some very extreme views on it, <laughs> which we can talk about in a sec. Okay, great. Yeah, so... Uh, this is this is Shopify country, so we definitely want to get your Shopify expertise, and I think this is as good as a transition into that as as any. Uh, and also, uh, I, I'm looking forward to what, hearing what you have to say about dropshipping. Oh, I, I overall have a positive uh, view towards it, but also because I'm very like I'm a very slow learner, so I'm like, oh, we're going to have fun then when we reach that. Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't do, disagree, do like, but I don't agree either. I, I just want to hear it. But have I have I fully answered the question? Do you feel like you're you're ready to yeah, move absolutely. on to? Uh, okay, so act two. Yeah, absolutely. No, that sounds good. And I think, um, yeah, I think just on that point as well, just for anyone listening, I think the just to be really clear, the just ask Parker side of things is purely Shopify. Um, I did when you mentioned earlier that you're in Canada. I was instantly in my head was thinking like, you know, about five or six of my friends have moved over to work for Shopify in Toronto. So. I've not been out to Canada myself, but I, it is on my list. Canada and South Africa are very much in my uh, my hit list for um, probably 2022 now. Um, but yeah, let's talk about drop shipping. So at Parker, we are a Parker is a Shopify expert. Spec is in the process of getting on the Shopify Plus partner program as well. And what that means is you can go on the Shopify Plus partner pro- program, and you can go into the Shopify experts area as a store owner or as somebody works for a, you know, an e-commerce business, and you can buy services in. Now, through that button, we get so many people at Parker, probably, probably a majority of our customers come through that. And we've also got the podcast, we've got our course, we've got some good SEO, we run PPC stuff. So we've got loads of different ways people can find us. And we've got word of mouth, which equally is as important, actually, as the Shopify badge. But through Shopify, we get, some days we get tons and tons of inquiries. Hence why I employed Byron, who's my colleague, and had him on the podcast for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, and Byron basically manages that, you know, the Shopify thing, doing sales, essentially, you know, talking to people about their requirements, et cetera. And we get so many who come along and want drop shipping. Now, let me give you the pros and cons that are public, and then I'll give you Nick's pros and cons. So the pros and cons that are public are, the pros are you don't have to stock anything. You choose whatever products you want. You have a massive online store and off you go. The cons, you don't really get, it was difficult to do anything because you're bound by what people have already got. And then you basically spend most of your time writing your own product descriptions and changing it all because you don't because you're taking products out the same feed as everybody else and probably thousands of other stores around the world selling exactly the same items with the same product titles, meta descriptions, product descriptions, spec, all the rest of it. You don't really have a differentiator. So then Nick's view on it, I love the concept and I've been tempted to run my own dropshipping um, company for a very long time. The way I would do it, though, and I think this is quite different to the traditional, especially with Shopify dropshipping, I would run it by contacting brands directly and saying, can you distribute stuff and we'll sell it? And we actually had an idea of doing that for any past clients of spec and just saying to them, look, we know all your challenges. We know that you know it didn't work out with us or we left you sort of things. It wasn't working. But why don't we sell your products for you and you just do the logistics and give us 50% of whatever the profit is. So if you've got a 50% profit margin, you have 25%, we have 25%, the other 50 covers, um, yeah, it covers cost of product and you sending it out, et cetera. So you'll get 75%. So if you give us a trade price of 25% basically off as a margin, we'll drop ship it. That was the idea. Now, the reason I don't like it is lots of people, uh, there's a phrase in, in starting businesses, and I'm not a big fan of the startup world as well, which we won't talk about today, but um, there's a lot of people in the startup world who just go, wow, it's too good to be true. And in the business world, if it's too good to be true, it is. 
what you need in the business world, and this is why I've got sort of one good business that's changed form and been sold, and I started another thing doing essentially the same thing but better. The reason that I, the reason I'm still doing that is because all of my side projects have failed. I've run a telecoms company. I've run my own Shopify store. I tried drop shipping very briefly. I tried a lead gen, you know, generating leads company. I tried an app building company. I tried a training business. I've tried loads of other businesses and there's two reasons they fail. One, I didn't focus on it enough. And two, it all looked too good to be true in hindsight, <laughs> which is partly why I've now just gone, well, Parker's part of what spec do anyway, at a different level. It's all one thing. Podcast is part of that. Uh, the training we do do now is for clients. It's all part of that. It's all under one banner, which I'm good at. And I've got a lot of USPs in there. With dropshipping, too many people have just gone on dropshipping.com. I don't even know if that's a thing, but found a dropshipping site that's got a Shopify feed, whacked a load of products up, tried it for a while, wasted $20,000, you know, trying to get this thing working. Contact, and it's a bit of a rant, so sorry. No, 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 this is, a, this is rant-friendly territory, by all means, go ahead. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'll have another sip of tea in a sec. Um, but yeah, the contacted someone that just asked Parker and said, look, we're a massive business that do X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. And then we've seen on that when they've gone on the Shopify portal to find an expert and contacted us, it has the dropshipping box ticked. We look on the site and just start copy and pasting a few product names, a few product descriptions onto Google and 50 sites come up and they're not even one of them. So if their exact match product titles don't appear, they don't have a USP. There's no reason to buy from them. There's nothing about customer service. There's no review platform. And even if they had all of that, so does everybody else. So what's the USP? So that's where people who don't drop ship, people who make their own products, I think have a bit of a disadvantage because they have to deal with all the products, you know, the actual manual logistics of getting them out and storing them and, you know, checking what's in stock and inventory systems and whatnot. But the advantage they have is they can adapt their product range to solve a problem. So I'll take my shoe off and show you my shoe because I shout these guys out a lot on the podcast. We've never actually worked with them. They're called Tropic Feel. So this shoe, sorry, it's a little bit dirty. It's due for a wash. Is made from six recycled bottles. That's a USP. It doesn't have proper laces. So there's no lace there. It's elastic. So the whole thing is very, very stretchy. And I, I for one, I can do my laces. I just can't be bothered. So again, it solves problems for me. Um, it, they're based in Barcelona. It arrived in two days during coronavirus. That's a USP for me. It was part of Shopify. So on, the, on Shopify's shop app, I had all the UPS information of it being delivered to me. Had a little issue with it being delivered. So I sent them an email. They responded instantly. Will I buy from them again? Yes, I absolutely will. Where are their products from? They made them. They're not the cheapest, but these, these shoes should last. Bear in mind, I wear these shoes every single day. These shoes should last me probably, I reckon, two to five years, whereas my normal shoes, probably three or four months, maybe six, if I'm wearing it every day. That's Nike and Adidas um, and brands like that. So I think, yes, I think they've got a USP and I think drop shipping can work, but I think there's so many challenges around it. And the biggest one is the people starting those drop shipping businesses are not marketing people. They're not web developers. They're not brand designers. They don't know how to do it. So then when you go on the news and you hear about these drop shipping stories of this person made $200 million in their first year of drop shipping. Yeah. Cause they're the one in a thousand who actually knew what they were doing before they started. So again, I don't mean to rant too much, but we've seen that so much in Shopify as, as much as I love Shopify. They told us on the podcast before Christmas, I had Tim Sumner, who's a good friend of mine from the Shopify plus team. He told me that Shopify in the UK doubled in size in Q2 of last year in terms of number of stores. So however many stores they had at the end of March, they had twice as many at the end of June last year. And was this uh, analyzed within a year or are you talking about like to date 
in March. And then that number doubled. So the whole, the, the, the total volume of registered Shopify stores in the UK at 31st of Jan um, doubled by the 31st of June. So they literally, if they'd that's, spent five years crazy. gaining stores, they doubled that in, in three months. So there's a couple of things that I, uh, that I, that I want to uh, touch on, um, uh, points that were raised uh, mid-rant. So one of them is um, my perspective on this uh, is, is somewhat unique. I guess, thankfully, I have mm. this unique perspective because um, prior to this, I'm just uh, doing media, uh, mostly working locally, doing freelance editing, all that good jazz. And I apply for uh, this job to be the podcast host here. And so I'm having my own skepticism, not just about dropshipping, but about the whole thing. So when I hear the term, it's too good to be true, thankfully for me, the truth was revealed very early on because I was getting paid. And so that does help to like, okay, well, obviously they make money doing this. Otherwise they wouldn't be able to pay me through it. So I go in with, I, I, I have this term I, I made up like four weeks ago called like, what is a bedrock? It's like rock bottom, but positive. So like, okay, well, this is my bedrock. The industry is, is functional and it does work and there, and there is money to be made here. So that's good. So now I'm continuing to explore from there, uh, swim my way up. So I'll, I'll give you my, my opinions on, uh, on drop shipping as well, just to help kind of like summarize this uh, for, for our audience is that you really do have to mean it. I think that's the simplest way that I can say this. A, a lot of these um, experiences that you're describing are people who are just kind of almost gambling, where they just put a bunch of uh, products up and they're, they're not putting like, you know, five bucks on red, but they're putting you know, $200 on something red, like a red object, a red book. And, and they're just seeing what takes. And so everything seems to come across as gambling because gambling can very easily appeal to the get rich quick, you know, in the span of a day, because uh, with a million dollars. And it's not. And it, 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 is, it does come back to the fundamentals about, what, as you say, solving a problem. This is what we talk about when we're being trained on this. Does this solve a problem? And if so, what is the unique position you can take when you're marketing it to other people? So, there are, so I actually find it a lot more encouraging and comforting the more challenges I encounter, because it shows me that I, the, the harder this is, the more legit it makes it. Well, and, and one other thing too, I guess I wanted to point out is that because you were talking about how you wanted to um, work with different manufacturers and you kind of wanted to sell on their behalf. I'm not sure exactly the uh, specific business breakdown of it, but it sounds like it was like a private, it would be private labeling where you would run your own store, you would sell their product, but they would brand it your brand. So because you're, you're basically doing the selling. Is that right? Or was it you were selling their brand on their behalf? So when we did it, we just literally went for the like wholesale approach. So we just took thousands of brands, chucked them on a big web page on Shopify, set up the integration, which took no touch. Shopify make it too easy again, in my opinion. Um, and we were just kind of batching it. Some of the drop shipping companies that have done it really, really well. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have heard of these, this company, but they're called Sports Direct here in the UK. Um, so Sports Direct is owned by a very well-known British businessman who also owns Newcastle FC Football Club and um, House of Fraser Debenhams. There's quite a lot of, in the UK, everybody knows who they are. Um, but Sports Direct is exactly that. So their website, I ordered some stuff yesterday and it's coming in two different packages. So it's things like that where it's clearly drop shipping and they actually drop ship direct from the brands where they can. Um, I might be wrong on it, but it looks exactly like that. And I think They've done it well because it's all um, last season's sportswear. So it's Nike and Adidas from last year, um, and therefore it's at discounted prices. So they have a reason to do it, a bit like TJ, TJ Maxx. You know, there's, it's all sort of last season's stuff, still absolutely fine, all still brand new. It just wasn't sold during the season. So TJ Maxx pick it up kind of thing. So I think, um, yeah, I think 
there are there are types of dropshipping that I think work well, and that's the way that we when we we did the kind of wholesale approach. The way we almost did it well, we didn't actually launch at the end, but we were just contacting companies in the UK with terrible websites that did wholesale and said, "Look, you've got all the stock in your warehouse. If you can send stuff out one by one yourself, one as I say, like as I said earlier, twenty five, twenty five, fifty percent split. Why why don't we sell the products for you and you just distribute them out? So where your trucks turn up to do all your wholesale stuff." Why doesn't another truck from DPD, Royal Mail, UPS, whoever, just turn up and pick up all of the customer orders and send those out? And we'll just do next day delivery on everything. Um, and they were a couple of companies were very keen. One was a, a tire company. So you could just buy another tire and then just drive down to your local tire garage and say, can you fit this tire on this wheel for me? And they just do it. Sort of thing. So again, saving money with stuff like that. But um, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't, the whole, the massive kind of batch, just tens of thousands of brands did not work at all. And I think what we would have needed to have done is gone down the route of probably having like amazing customer service. So live chat and, and stuff like that. So people could actually ask questions and have proper collections so that they could, yeah, people could see the collection this was in and know if I'm buying these shoes, buy these jeans with it. A bit like ASOS, you know, as seen on screen. I mean, you know, any, any developments along those way, we'd love to have you back and, and just hear how things changed, you know, give us six Oh, don't worry, to... I've quit all of that. We're oh, just, okay. <laughs> just focusing on the stuff that's working now. <laughs> okay, all, all good. Maybe in, maybe in my next life, my next business life, once I'm out of spec, but uh, yeah, quite happy here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe it. Beautiful artwork, uh, a, nice, a smile on your face. You get to have your office, you know. Exactly, yep. Um, one of the things that I, was uh, expecting going into this because you know you talk about like the like the rise of Shopify. So I'm thinking that you can give us some uh, some keen insights into how Shopify evolved up to the point that it is now. So um, I, I still got you for about like okay. How specific do I need my math to be? Oh, so I got you about like 13, 13, 14 or so minutes. So th- this is something that I, that I think our listeners can uh, get a lot of uh, insight as to how the format of Shopify changed. Yeah, so I'll spice this up just a little bit, just to give you an understanding of like how I view format change. So one example would be something like Facebook, where initially I signed on to Facebook and it's like a living yearbook where photos are updated, people are posting stuff, but it's not like town square it's just this this ongoing way to memorialize things now it's town square and it's got everything so in that sense the format has changed drastically so along those lines i'm curious about the format changes in shopify yeah yeah, definitely so i mean shopify in the early days is when i started my own shopify business we were selling um in fact i've even got some in here still just sitting on our on our uh, on our shelf as a reminder of what not to do or not how not to run a business um but yeah we i went to a meetup about six or seven years ago and saw three people who own small Shopify businesses making one and a half, two million pounds a month of revenue, um, shouting about it, saying, look how great this is. So on the train home, I got my credit card out and I was sitting there on the train on my laptop, um, just on the Wi-Fi, And I spent $5,000 with some random company on Alibaba in China and ordered a whole load of sunglasses, some of which I say are still sitting on the shelf here from four years ago, we would have uh, been running that, maybe five now, actually. Um, but yeah, so I went to this meetup and I was like, wow, Shopify looks really nice and easy. Um, Shopify was, it was built to be a, you can't change too much. So you don't need technical development backgrounds to manage things. And if when you look at Shopify's competitors, they've absolutely smashed it. it essentially, I describe it as the WordPress of the e-commerce world, but you can't log into, you can't go in the server. You can only log into the front end. There's no, the code bit is just there. And it works in the same way with the same templates, et cetera. Then uh, this big scaling and growing company came along called Gymshark. And they were building their nice big Magento One store. 
So obviously Magento 2 is out now, but years ago, Magento 1 store. And there's a great video on YouTube, which I highly recommend anybody listening right now to understand where Shopify came from. Um, there's a, quite a few videos where Shopify themselves have interviewed Ben, who's the founder. I forget his surname, but Ben from Gymshark. Um, but check him out, CEO, founder, something like that. Ben Gymshark, the story. And he talks in this video, um, which I saw at a Shopify meetup a couple of years back, um, where he talks about they were building this Magento 1 website and they turned it on and it broke on launch day. Their business was growing too quickly. So by the time they got this big clunky Magento store live, um, the store already was too small. The servers couldn't keep up. They need to be expanded. The code fell apart. It got hacked. This is in the first day of turning it on. So they rolled back to like press the shop or something random or Drupal, Joomla, something, one of the old platforms they were using. So they rolled back to that just to keep trading, even though it looked awful with a big banner saying, sorry, we launched our new site and it failed. Really sorry, but same great service is still here. We're still working on our new website. One of, them, one of the guys at Shopify got in touch and basically said, move it to Shopify. And I forget the time frame, but it was like a month or two. And they launched a whole new store. They'd spent a year or something building this Magento One site. And it cost them like hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of pounds and didn't work. Like just did not work. It did not function as it should. They threw all that money in the bin. And for an e-commerce business scaling, that is not the kind of money you can throw away. So they, they put them on Shopify and instantly Shopify wasn't good enough, but it held up. It worked. It looked better. It worked. It was a step forward. But they still had some problems of we need to customize it a bit more. It's making so much money, but then the card transaction fees to Shopify are ridiculous, like millions every month. Um, so Shopify then said, all right, we're going to build a custom platform for you guys. We've been working on it for a while, something to rival Magento. And then when Magento 2 was coming along, Shopify Plus, and Plus is the premium enterprise side of things. Um, for reference, we've launched two Plus stores so far this year, and it's only 15th of March when we've hit the record button on this. So um, yeah, so we've already, we've already launched two Plus stores this year. And Plus was built for Gymshark to make it work. It is the enterprise level of, of Gymshark. Now, where Shopify has come from, using your analogy of town square, I think it's great. Shopify, Shopify is like, in fact, if I can plug one episode of the podcast, the it's called Winning with Shopify. So go and check out our podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes, etc. Winning with Shopify. And there's an episode we did the last one of the, I think, I think it was the last one last year. And we had Tim Sumner from Shopify themselves on there. Check that out because Tim... He talks about Shopify being um, the platform that arms the local businesses and the small online businesses to batter um, to batter uh, Amazon around the head. And then we did another podcast, which is another great analogy from uh, Fairfax and Favor, who are quite a big plus store in the UK. Um, it was only a few weeks ago, and they were talking about, um, they said it's a bit like, Shopify is a bit like the rebel alliance on Star Wars against the dark side. So Amazon being the dark side, and it arms everyone to have a really good looking store. It functions well. You don't need to play with any code. Now, given that there's, you mentioned there's a lot of uh, Shopify agencies and e-commerce agencies tuning into this, what I will say is a few of our agency partners who offer web and design websites and work closely with us, and we love them all to bits, a lot of them are finding it difficult to get recurring work once they've launched the Shopify store because it doesn't need server maintenance. Things don't generally break. So in one sense, it means you've got less revenue. In another sense, it means that the creative directors of the e-commerce agencies are loving it because they can crack on with the CRO, the things that make money, average order value increases, et cetera. So actually the client's money now is not spent on just keeping the lights on and working on integrations that keep breaking between eBay, Amazon, and Magento, things like that. And we've got quite a few clients who use Hybris, Oracle Cloud, um, you know, to name a few. And there's such clunky platforms like Hybris, 
we just moved someone from high risk to Shopify plus and the, we kind of had this war room scenario of like, if it all goes wrong, we're all going to gather on the phone at 5am on launch day and just start fixing stuff. And we didn't have to use that scenario at all. In fact, the drops were only about 20 or 30% in SEO and they bounced back really, really quickly. And we've only been live third of Feb, we went live. So we've only been live for six weeks and we're already working on phase two for SEO. So we now, we can now click a button and make a new page or click a button and make a new collection or drag and drop the menu around or add custom content to collection pages and product pages. And it, it's, I, I use the phrase a lot that marketing has been lost from digital marketing. And I think Shopify really are flying the flag for putting marketing back in. So we're not trying to fix technical problems and it's those random golden goose e-commerce companies that have made it by just having the right product that makes enough profit and people just kind of find it and buy it and they've got a bit of a monopoly and it's all a bit of an accident. What Shopify is doing now is Shopify is, um, yeah, Shopify is now allowing um, small businesses to make very, very quick decisions and make things look good. So actually, as I say, the investment in web now, um, it means you've got a bigger margin to play with between costs out and costs in. The only downside is that also then does mean that things like Google Shopping and, and Facebook advertising and stuff are getting absolutely more and more expensive. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's something to be aware of that it's getting more competitive because people have bigger margins to play with. And you've got to think if you want to target, you know, black men's T-shirts, um, as in black T-shirts for men sort of thing, and not the other way around. Um, yeah, so black T-shirts for men or orange T-shirts for men, et cetera. Um, you are against ASOS and Amazon and eBay and all the big players. So you're going to have to pay the same click cost as them. So don't try and compete with them. Just come up with your own set of USPs, you know, super fast delivery, buy one, get one free. Um, you know, what happens if you join our loyalty program? Stuff like that. You know, and have a real think about it's where business modeling comes in. You know, how much should we charge for our products and how should we position delivery? Should we increase all product costs by two pounds and make delivery free, even though delivery costs five because most people buy three or three or more products? So if they buy four or more products, we are quids in on delivery, but it now looks free, which increases our conversion rate. And none of that's new. But it's easier to do that on something like Shopify. So. I think there's a great analogy there just about how uh, Shopify is really arming the small businesses to to take on. We say the, the dark side of uh, being the Star Wars nerd that I am. I have to spec- you know, point out, it's, I mean, the empire is influenced by the dark side. But uh, I mean, Amazon <laughs> empire, yeah, that, that, that definitely checks out. Amazon is also just, it's just their marketplace for small businesses. It's actually most of what is sold on Amazon is from small businesses as well. So you've got to remember that it's not, it's not just, it's not actually True. Amazon there's a few Amazon products, but it's what like 0.0001% of all products on Amazon are made by Amazon. It's only really like the Kindles and Echoes and stuff like that. And they do push them, but fair enough, it's their platform. But yeah, most most things are sold by like, you know, UK Books Limited or something. It's a small bookshop in the UK selling thousands of books on Amazon. Like, and it is, and, and that for me is, that's great. You know, they're, they're making money and Amazon might take 30 or 40% cut when you factor in all the delivery costs and everything. So obviously on a website, it'd be a lot less than that, but you've still got to pay, you've got to pay Google for the traffic. I see your point. So it really is more about um, comparing to uh, other large uh, uh, companies too. I, I think that the trouble is, you know, the, the more I try to hone in on this um, analogy, the more I'm going to have to be like, well, someone's got to be the villain here. And like, you know, it's, there are uh, large systems and, and smaller systems. And the point that I wanted to make is that the, the methodology of marketing is, also about small scale and we use that to our advantage because people typically want to root for the the rebels they typically want to root for the perceived good guys they want to root for the underdogs they want to see somebody triumph um i i think an analogy would be something like a floyd mayweather you know he's a very defensive play style great for winning tournaments not yeah not so great for selling tickets the tickets are sold because people want to see him go down 
And that's where a lot of the support comes from. So in marketing, what we learned is sometimes we just really got to rely on grassroots and uh, I almost hesitate to say guerrilla marketing tactics. You go onto Instagram and you start interacting with other people of a similar scale and you start to build a community that way. And then you you build an audience uh, almost through the uh, old school organic means, because as you say, Facebook advertising is getting more expensive as time goes on. And we're, we're learning that the hard way being some of the frontliners. I think with Facebook as well, I mean, we, I mean, in our defense, like all the agency is going to say they've got the best solution, of course, but in our defense as a consultancy, we always say that Google's our focus because people are looking for stuff. You know, yeah. they, I'm looking for a new Bosch drill and it's like, oh, we sell drills made by Bosch. Here they are. You know, and it's kind of, they know I'm already buy ready when I'm searching that keyword. Whereas on Facebook, you don't, but then equally Facebook it has less competitors in terms of you're not against 50 other companies selling that same product or similar products, which you will be on Google. Facebook, you might be against one or two, but you're not fighting for the space of somebody looking. You're fighting for the space in somebody's feed, which is very different. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're fighting for the discovery because uh, they're they have no intention to find any of this. They just want to uh, go on the, uh, the the dopamine journey. And I say they, but I include myself in that too. So I, I've only got you for another uh, f- five minutes. So um, one mindset that- probably stretch to fifteen if we need to. If there's uh, yeah, if you need me a bit longer, I, I, I'm happy to have you as long as I can have you for. It, so I really appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Let's call it fifteen then. We'll do fifteen. This is one that I wanted to get to. Uh, this is in regards to Parker, but there was a connection that I made that I guess I want to tell you about because I noticed earlier on. Not that I had to notice. You just told me straight up. So, but <laughs> it's the. A challenge of trying to connect uh, Parker with Spec. As you're describing Shopify to me, I noticed the same theme there of almost trying to connect Shopify regular to Shopify Plus. And that, again, there's like an onboarding process where somebody within the scale of Shopify, which quite substantial. So uh, in observing and even um, implementing ways to uh, connect a Parker with Spec, have you also had an opportunity to connect, say, like CPC people on the, the one end of Shopify into Shopify Plus? Yeah, so we've, I'll be honest, we've never, we've not actually managed to get a client to click the button to go from Shopify to Shopify Plus. I think a lot of organizations... But do you offer, the, you offer it? I mean, we wouldn't, we don't do dev work okay. and we don't design. So we just do the customer acquisition from Google. That's our bit. Parker side, we do a bit of everything. So we have a much wider team there. But again, it's like a whole it's like a whole marketing and digital agency and team and web agency all under one roof. And you kind of just click stuff and all this stuff. But I think the we've not had a client scenario yet, being completely honest, where we've gone from Shopify to Plus. A lot of our clients know they need to be on Plus pretty quick. That said, there's three or four clients of ours at the moment where we're, you know, we're hitting sort of, you know, 750000 pounds or dollars of revenue a month. And it's getting to a point where it's like, actually, you know, to put two and a half thousand or whatever the license fee is into Plus now kind of makes sense and to do it you just make a phone call and pay a bit more per month it's that quick and simple it's um yeah if you look at sort of you know magento one to magento two every magento one customer and we still have a couple still on magento one which is a headache given that it's, it's it's nine months since it was discontinued um we're unsupported so it's still secure but they're having to do their own support now as opposed to magento releasing updates um but yeah it's everyone had to completely rebuild their sites you don't have to do that on shopify um but yes yeah, so i think Crossing the chasm is a difficult one. Um, I quite arrogantly started offering training courses. And again, I feel like I've, I've not learned everything yet by any means. The more you know, the more you know you don't know is, uh, is my phrase. Um, but <laughs> it was a motto I live by. Um, but I started offering training courses to service the little companies while I went to focus on the big stuff. And actually then realized that one of our best clients right now, 
they're a tiny little construction firm near us. And all they do is soundproofing. They just soundproof people's bedrooms. And they, they sometimes in some houses, they'll just do the exterior walks, a big highway outside, yeah. a big motorway. Yeah. Been learning loads of American English, by the way, doing the podcast. Um, there's a nice highway outside. And they just want to have the, they don't do the window itself, but they, you know, the customer's going to get a new window fitted that's triple glazed instead of double. And then they just want a bit of soundproofing. It's going to make the wall slightly thicker. But so those guys, though, they've gone from paying me one Christmas when I was freelancing between jobs six years ago, like a thousand pounds just to build them a quick little Shopify store. Sorry, a quick little WordPress website because their website was rubbish. Now they're spending about five thousand pounds a month and we're getting them a new lead for every 20 or 30 pounds that we spend. Half of those leads are becoming jobs, and each job's worth five or six thousand pounds each. Um, you know, and they're a family-run business. They just kind of crack on with it. They work long hours, and they, you know, take really nice holidays every year. So again, tiny little client. And I think there's always this thing in businesses of like, you need to work out. I certainly think, definitely as an e-commerce or digital agency, you need to work out how, what the difference between small and big is, and what factors that defines. Um, and you need to work that out before you start charging a fee because the small ones are not always going to be the ones that pay the smaller fee. So one thing we've certainly not nailed, given that it's only been nine months since Parker and Spec were under my remit, um, but we, we're in the process of trying to highlight when we get a lead into one of them, when should it be with the other? The problem we've had is every time we mention Parker to a Spec client, they go, oh, all these great services at a smaller cost. And then sometimes we do have to have that conversation a couple of months later saying, this is why you're unhappy with Parker. Actually, you probably should be with Spec. So do these tasks with Parker. I'll get the Spec team to deploy them anyway. Once your credits are used up, then actually come with Spec. We'll charge you our minimum fee per month. Starts about sort of £500 a month for PPC advertising. Give us that. And then we've got three months to make it profitable, excluding our fee. Once it's profitable, you can grow the, the media spend enough that our fee then becomes nothing compared to what, what we're charged, what we're making you as revenue sort of thing. So we've had to have those conversations, but we don't always get it right. But yeah, we've got to be careful because if you suddenly stick both on the table, it makes spec not look lucrative enough. But then when you get three to six months down the line, you look back, so actually spec was the obvious option and Parker hasn't really worked because their requirement has been too high and they're not just trying to get a few bits and pieces done. They're actually trying to scale too quickly and that's what spec does not parker does what you ask it to spec tells you what needs to be done um so i think it has been a real challenge that said three or four spec clients right now came purely from parker and they're more than big enough one of them's growing nicely they're one of our biggest spec clients came from parker so actually it's it's not not the worst thing ever but i think um vice versa we've had quite a few spec clients that you know come to us and said right we need something we've tried to qualify them and thought they're not they can't afford us and it's not just about money. They can't afford us. They don't need us. And then sort of pass them on to Parker. And they've had a great time. You know, three months later, they've sorted all their social media out. Website's looking great. SEO's starting to go up. And actually now they are ready to come back to come back to spec at that point. So yeah, certainly good opportunities. But I think it's it's not it's certainly not been clear cut. We never thought it was going to be. There's not been a clear cut. Which one are you? And it's, there's certainly not a conveyor belt of just everyone from Parker's heading to spec. Yeah. It might be the case, but we're only nine months in. And actually, when we first got involved in June, um, Caroline hadn't taken any new clients on in quite a while. So actually, the business was pretty stationary at the time. Now it's flying like mad. Like we're, we're, we've been well into profit, even hiring a few staff. Um, you know, and it's going really, really well. And we certainly had our challenges over that time. And we've just taken the approach of if anybody's unhappy, we'll just go totally over and above to sort it out. We'll basically bring in spec to sort things out if Parker fails somebody and then do an investigation and fix Parker's result. But I think, again, to anybody listening from an agency, you know, agencies around there, it really is a challenge. I thought this might come up earlier, but I think it's a really good time to mention this. 
I have a secret weapon at spec, a really, really big secret weapon. And he is a he, he's, he's basically my advisor. Uh, so he's kind of like a mentor advisor. Um, he's semi-retired. He, he basically used to run lots and lots of other agencies. His most recent agency he exited um, before I, and when, when I was, I got for coffee with him quite a lot in, up in town or he lives quite local to me. We go out for a beer every now and then. And when he told me, by the way, I've just exited my business. I was like, oh my gosh, how much do I need to pay you now to have you as an official advisor? And he said, I need to wait six months, but I'm happy to answer any questions over a beer for free now anyway. Two years nearly now, we've had him on our books, paying him. I have him two hours a week and I just ask him anything. He's helped me hire the right staff. It was his his advice to buy an office recently, to get involved in Parker, how we bring the two together. And having that voice of reason, I'll be honest, I've been really arrogant over the years. You can probably tell now that I'm on a massive U-turn of, I really don't know anywhere near as much as I think I know. I need to be a bit humble, under-promise, over-deliver, go back to the basics on things. And that's working really well for us in terms of results. We're acquiring clients, you know, massively, uh, sort of massive speed. Um, we're also acquiring great staff. I've got a phenomenal, I could not ask for a better team. But I think over the years, I've always, whenever someone said like, oh, you should get a mentor or have a coach, or I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't want someone telling me what to do. And whenever I've tried it, I've had to spend more time explaining to them the problem then they've gone, oh, I don't really know about that. And it's like, what is the, what's the point of you? Whereas Sean, who's my advisor, I didn't go through some coaching program. I'm not a fan of the startup world. I don't like accelerator programs. I'm not interested in investors. I just want someone that I can sit down with and have a conversation to give me a bit of headspace to go, look, I think we've got a bit of a problem with this person here or you know, this contract's going south at the moment. I need to turn this around. Or if we lose it, fine. It doesn't change anything for the business. doesn't cause us any problems, but I'd rather not lose it. And he'll say, right, here's what's going on here, Nick. We've got this scenario. This has happened. This person's let them down. This is what's going on here. Appreciate you're busy, but this is what you need to do to turn this around. And on the next conversation with the client, I'll just be really open and say X, Y, Z and get this thing cleared up and get everybody back on a level level footing. And that honestly has kept probably about 10, 20% of our client base now. And when you look at the average agencies making 50% profit, 10 or 20% is almost half of your profit. So we owe him a lot, you know, he's not the cheapest, but he's brilliant. And it was through, you know, personal connection and a kind of, I know you, can I just try this out for a few months? And, and then he asked me, how's it going? I'm like, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I need your help now. Um, and I, I believe if I sell the business or we continue to buy other companies and merge them in, which we've done a bit of recently, I continue to believe that he'll, he will continue to be a big part of that. And I think that's really, really important. So going back to your initial question, which I've gone on a massive tangent of, how do we get people from Parker to spec or actually do we want people to go the other way? It definitely is Parker to spec as the businesses grow, but I think having a mentor as a secret weapon and just constantly trying different things. And the other thing as well, which we talk about on the podcast a lot from the e-commerce company's perspective, talking to their own customers, but I think it's important as an agency to talk to your clients, you know, take them out for a drink, take them out for lunch. How are you finding stuff at the moment? If I can change one thing about our service, what would it be? And I guarantee every time there'll be something on the top of their head, they'll instantly yeah. say to you, um, do you know what? When we catch up, I sometimes feel like the first 15, 20 minutes a bit loosey-goosey. Yeah, I don't know what to do about that. And then I, you can easily respond and go, well, we'll just set an agenda. Absolutely fine. And they'll be like, yeah, let's try that. And then three months later, in terms of keeping the client longer, keeping the relationship strong, three months later, drop them there, just want to check. We've been setting agendas for all of our calls. How's that working for you? You know, I sent one today. We've changed a few people around the team here. How's that working for you today? And she goes, it's been fantastic. It's a headache out of my hair. Um, I've been, I've basically not been involved in what you're doing anymore because I'm the marketing director and I shouldn't be on the ground too often. And what you guys are doing is absolutely great. And that's why you've not heard from me. No news is good news. I'm really, really happy. And I'm introducing you to a couple of my friends as well. 
which is probably a prompt of me asking the question of how's it going. So I think, yeah, I think in terms of, yeah, in terms of understanding the customer, talk to them and don't take what they say as the answer. Take it in, digest it, try to think where's the question come from? What's caused them to ask that question? Where are we sitting right now? You know, should we ditch this client? Should we start looking for another one to replace them? Go through that process. Don't just, if they say, oh, you guys should do this, don't just do it, you know, process it and think about what has been said and therefore what should we do as well, I think is uh, is important. I think one element of that that can pose challenging is because it is a human being on the other side is how much of their decision-making is even informed strictly by the business where if they're decision-making, they come in that day and something went wrong at home, uh, you know, the dog made a mess in the carpet. And then all of a sudden, they're like, can we uh, uh, speed up our phone calls? You, you, you never know. There's always uh, little things that get into our subconscious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that particular client, yeah, they told me a while ago, they said um, they got a week off and they went to Cyprus last summer because that was one of the places on the UK safe list last summer. Um, and when they came back, you know, I said, like, oh, how was it? And they said to me, Do you know, it's the first week I've had where I haven't looked at my emails at all since I started working for this company a year ago, it's been like 10 PM every night. I'm still on my laptop. I get up at seven. It's just, there's literally been nothing. I've barely spent any time with my kids. Bearing in mind we're in lockdown and we're homeschooling and I barely spend any time with my kids. And so I've then always taken the approach of asking that person, how can we support you more in this? Are we taking up too much of your time? Do you want, do you want to miss these calls from now on? And I'll send you a summary quickly. Oh, Nick, that'd be great. Yeah, please. And it's like, well, that, there we go. That's a client for five years. And it's none of it was complicated. I think you just need to gain a bit of experience to know how to deal with those things. And that's something I've learned in the last two years, really, is to really get under the skin. I'm probably still nowhere along that journey. But yeah, I think it is important. So uh, one analogy that uh, came to my mind, uh, I, I don't know how phone services are, are in the UK. I don't even know how it really goes in the States. But here in Canada, we have two major phone companies. We got Bell and we got Rogers. And I personally, I could afford Rogers. I just choose not to because I just don't, it's just not a good value proposition for me. But these companies have several brands underneath them because they realize that, well, you know, if Bell just offers a different service, then we're going to lose that. So they might as well just, we might as well just offer like lower uh, cost brands so that we can acquire those customers and still position it in a way that it's profitable. And I think that was what came to mind because I'm thinking that you have Parker, you have Spec, and you never know. Like a, a third uh, pillar might emerge at some point that might then it can be. Oh yeah, okay, I fair. Hope not, but yeah, it we'll might. see what the market dictates, right? <laughs> there might be a different pillar that needs to be serviced in a particular way that's profitable to you. Because I, I, I really appreciate that analogy or that example about the uh, the soundproofing because the soundproofing you you can kind of scale it depending on how far you can travel, right? But other than that, like it's. But yes, scale exactly. is, is both, uh, it's it's vertical, but it is also uh, lateral. And what I mean by that is you scale based off how expensive your client is and how much time, uh, how valuable their time is and how much money they make and how much money they're willing to pay. So in that sense, the, 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 the scale increases because you're having more of an impact. If you impact, if you soundproof somebody who is working 10 hours a day, it is constantly utilizing getting value out of that soundproof well then they're having more of an influence in the world so that's one way to i would say to quantify impact even if it's not as tangible or as noticeable as like oh i'm i sold 100 last week now this week i'm selling a thousand something like that i think it's right and i think just yeah just to clarify that point is it's been a real brainwave for us but in terms of just understanding what is a good client another exercise i'd recommend everybody does every three months and I used to just go and sit on a train and just do like a little lap of the UK or as far as I could get in a day. Just sit on a train, my laptop, doing some thinking, looking out the window, getting some nice lunch somewhere far away. And what I would do in that day is I would go through our client list 
any anybody we've worked for in the last three months and just list out on a spreadsheet name of client how do we find them and i guarantee you'll be shocked by what you write down like it's the amount of times i've looked at that and gone hang on a minute this one person's introduced us to so many people um yeah it's an absolute brainwave and it then informs you as the business owner or new business person or account managers directors it informs you where you need to be spending your time so if you know that all your clients come through the same you know dave jones over here well spend more time with dave give dave some cash every time dave introduces you to somebody like and that sounds really simple and it's where the data the right data makes the decision for you i believe and i think yeah, it's a little exercise I do quite a lot. And that then helps us define like, oh, actually, do you know what? 10% of our clients have come from Parker recently at Spec. That's interesting. And the same with Parker. You know, if they come through our Shopify badge, our uh, podcast, if they just land on the website one day, do we think it was a referral from somewhere else, from one of our partnerships? Should we do more partnerships? Again, we don't want to have 50 partnerships start up to give it a real good go if it's going to fail. If we can answer that question before we start, much, much better way of doing it. So. I have one more question for you. Um, this is like a mindset one that I uh, would like our audience to take away from. Um, listening to your podcast, one of the things that you say is the idea of like a quick win, where there's a very, very small, but tangible positive outcome. And I think this is a good way to help build momentum in people's minds. So this will be the last thing I want to ask you about, and then I'll let you go. So you can just let people know how to find you. And if you have any other like last bit of wisdom, be free to do that. But just like, I, yeah, I just want to hear about the methodology of like a quick win and how to, how do we quantify that and how we can start like finding ways to win quickly, even right here, right now. Yeah. And do you mean specifically for agencies or just for businesses across the board? Well, you know what, let's, uh, let's go with agencies and I'll challenge our listeners to then apply that to their own because uh, if you go across the board, like I, I'm, I'm just watching the clock here. I don't want to make you do that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely fine. I think, yeah, I think the main, the main thing to look at, as I say, is where your clients come from, and be brutal with it. Don't, you know, I think one of the hardest things I've had as a business owner is just removing emotion from the decision making process. One way that I, and this is what my last word of wisdom, probably the way I do that is every morning when I come in the office, I drive in, takes me 15 minutes, about seven miles to drive into the office at nine kilometers for any of our European listeners. Um, and I, yeah, I, I drive in and I tell myself it's not, it's my business, but I don't work for me. I work for the business. And certainly in the UK, that's the law. The business is its own entity. It has its own bank accounts and passports. It pays people. It has income outcome, the same as a human would. And I think that's really, really important. So quick wins I would look for one is, and I hate doing this, if I'm honest, I've, I've only done it once and it was a really fruitful exercise, but I don't want to do it again, um, is go through your client list and get rid of all the dead wood. Um, I hate the idea because I'm very much of the opinion of if they're there just paying us a bit of money and not causing any harm, just leave them. And I don't think that's the problem with that. But I think my advisor, Sean's always telling me to get rid of the dead wood. That's a quick win. Um, with your lead gen, that's always the thing agencies are struggling with is new business. When, it's, when you've got loads of leads in, that's when you need to do the most new business. So you, again, Sean's advice, you turn it into this ongoing new business thing. So right now we've got loads of good opportunities on the horizon, which is now we need to start getting the next wave in because then it's not wave after wave. It's just a continual current, like a river of, of new business coming in. So that's a quick win. So as soon as, if you're not busy, you're probably frantically scrambling around and you, you'll, probably, you'll probably get through, which is good. But you can apply that approach when you're not desperate and still act. Tony Robbins, the, um, you know, the crazy therapist chap, he talks a lot about how to make your mindset desperate, even when you're not. And that's a good mindset. So giving you a little bit too much information here, when I need to go to the loo is when I'm most productive. 
because I'm frantically working away like this going, I'm going to go to the loo in a minute, I'm going to go in a minute, I'm going to go. And I know that now. So I try and squeeze in an extra five or 10 minutes before I go because I'm super productive because my brain's in like fight or flight mode. And I'm like, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. Get so much done, go to the loo. And I always wait until I finish the thing I'm on and then go. And I think quick wins, get rid of any dead words, sign any of those clients you're thinking of signing, get a bit more aggressive with it. You With new business, you never have anything to lose. I'm, I'm politely aggressive is how I would put it. So I'm on it. I email people regularly. I emailed about five companies this morning, potential clients of ours at Spec, saying, hey guys, hope you well. Just want to see what the latest is on this. You know, we're really keen to work with you. Haven't heard from you. You know, didn't hear from you guys last week. Um, and, and always with a little, let me know if you need any help with the decision-making process. Let me know if you need any insights that might inform your decision. And if we don't, you know, if, if we're not going to win, could you let me know? Because I'm quite happy to change our approach accordingly so that it works for you or push back on what I think might be the wrong approach guess what box I've just ticked? Consultant. And that's our USP. That's why people go with us. So I would say try and shorten the new business cycle as much as you can. Then you can do more new business cycles throughout the year. Get rid of any dead words. Uh, be careful with it though. If you just chuck loads of clients out the door, you've lost revenue. So you need to be a bit careful about that. Um, really big philosophy for me, and this is a massive quick win, 80% of your growth, and this applies to any business, even an e-commerce business, let alone the agencies, 80% of your growth is currently locked in your existing clients. So go through them and go, what services could we add? Some of our SEO clients, you know, we sometimes charge like a thousand pounds a month and then realize we've over the last year, they're now making 150,000 pounds a month more than when we started. Well, our fee doesn't really make sense anymore, does it? <coughs> Why are we only getting, you know, under 1% of that growth? Bearing in mind, they've got that money every single month now and we're adding more and more and more on top. So then we say to clients, look, things have grown massively. Here's how much input we've had. Um, you know, we're keen to up our fee now to 2000 because we're not really being rewarded for what we do, but we want to stay motivated and we want to share in that success. And um, it's always scary asking, but our clients often have turned around and said, yeah, yeah, fine. We, you know, we didn't want to bring it up. Of course, we don't want to pay up more than we need to, but we also don't want to lose you as an agency because you're really good. So actually, yeah, well, or, or even which Sean's advising me to, and easier on PPC because budget goes up, fee goes up and they only increase the budget if we tell them to, and we're only going to tell them to if it's working because otherwise we're going to scale something that's not working. We have loads more revenue from it. We get very reliant on it. They leave one day really angry. We get no case study, no testimonial, causes other problem. And so I think, yeah, to reiterate, I think get rid of any dead words, but do it bit by bit. Be careful. Get rid of the worst ones first. If the client's taking up too much time, they probably are taking up too much time. So get some way of documenting that and get rid of them as well or, or try and pin them down to make it work better. Um, grow your existing clients is always the best way to grow the business. Keep new business happening all the time. Um, just get a spreadsheet, 12 columns, Jan, Feb, March, April, every month, do something new. And, and you've got to think really logically and really objectively, how am I going to get that thing in front of a client? So I've seen lots of businesses write loads of white papers that nobody's ever read. Complete waste of time. So we write one or two white papers a year, but we have audiences to email them to, or we put some money behind it on LinkedIn, or we send that out as a bit of a pre-call to a webinar that we run. And we're inviting hundreds of people and we get hundreds of people on webinars we run. And we might do an e-commerce one, a property businesses one, a construction company one, a uh, just general B2B lead gen one. And bring those audiences and talk about those topics and give them a load of free stuff with enough gaps that it's like, okay, I love that talk from spec, loads of quick wins. I can do this, this, and this to my website today, but actually I need to change stuff. But that, that's what I would do. And don't get me wrong. For anyone listening who runs an agency, it is, it is hard graft. It is probably the one of the hardest types of businesses to run. I regularly think about quitting. I regularly hit my head against the wall and I don't take enough breaks. And COVID has hit me like a freight train in the sense that I haven't taken enough time off because there's nowhere to go. When I've been off at home 
for a few days. I've been on my emails the whole time anyway, so I'm not really off. Um, but I think you've got to you've got to play hard, work hard, kind of thing. And in that order, if you don't take time out, especially if you're UK based, you'll know what's happening with our tax rates at the moment. There are no tax benefits to running a business. Actually, the opposite. Now, there's no financial reason to run a business from a tax perspective. You need to take time off. You need to build an asset. So think about all your decisions. You know, when you we bought, we're, well, we're in the process of buying an office at the moment to boost up our value as a company. And instead of paying rent, we pay a loan back for the building sort of thing. So that makes more sense. Then we've got our own space and we've got a few spare desks we can rent out to generate. So instead of paying money to a landlord, we're now generating revenue from the same thing, four walls around us. We can paint it and make it a fun environment, which means more people want to work for us. It means our, our employees take ownership of it and stuff. But I think we're always talking financially about these things. Quick wins, get rid of dead wood, sign some new clients as quickly as you can, have a new business plan. If you don't have one, find somebody that knows how to come up with one and get your whole company involved in new business, get them writing white papers, running webinars, inviting people in. And if, if it helps as well, I highly recommend going on Fiverr or Upwork or something and getting a VA. Just every time you get one of those as business owner, when you get those tasks, which like, I've got 400 rows of a spreadsheet now and there's no formula that can automate this. I just need to go through manually, get a VA and get them on the phone and go, right, I'm going to do the first three. Then you now you screen share and do the next three, right? Crack on till it's done. And they might cost you five or $10 an hour. Get a VA is absolutely, or get a junior person, the company. And often when we hire a new junior, they're my personal assistant for the first two or three months. They can see how the business functions. And then as I get a bit of a feel for kind of where their strengths are, then I, buddy them up in a mentorship program with somebody else and they kind of go from there so i think yeah lots of quick well, lots that, of quick that's wins fantastic there, that's yeah that's huge and and i and i made sure to ask uh, what we can do uh to win today and most of us will have to go to the bathroom today so i think that's about us <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely but um it's, anyway it's been great to, to be back. here you know if, you, if, if people you want to contact me out, you want to rant for an I will. hour you uh you, you got a pair of ears <laughs> That's what my wife is for. <laughs> it's those rants. Oh, okay. Wife to be, I should say. We're getting married in the summer, but um, but yeah, I think if anyone wants to get in contact, uh, just ask Parker um, or Spec Digital. There's no dot com or anything. Just dot digital. Spec S P E C dot digital is where to catch us. Um, you can find me Nick Truman. Truman with the E, so not the American spelling, but T R U E M A N. Nick Truman on uh, Instagram. No Instagram. Don't find me on Instagram. I've, I've hidden all my public profiles because I used to run a YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, find me on LinkedIn under Nick Truman. And if you want to check out my podcast as well, um, it's purely Shopify focused. It's called Winning with Shopify. And you'll hear my classic, very British, Surrey, posh accent on the uh, on the podcast. So you'll know it's me. But um, no, it's been great to be here. I really appreciate the invite. And um, yeah, I hope everybody's found something useful from... Uh... I, I certainly have. And a rant or no rant, even if you just got uh, loads of uh, development stuff that you want to... Uh... Uh, let us know about whatever the case is we would love to have you back i'll drop me an email okay sounds good all right listeners if, if you're like me you just have so much to, to process and so much to do so uh get started take care and we'll check in soon thanks for listening you might have found this show on many number of platforms apple podcasts spotify google play stitcher or right here on debutify whatever the case if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. 
If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.